Warning. You're about to enter the arena and join the battle to save America with your host, Sean Parnell. Welcome, everybody, to Battleground Live. How about that new intro? Uh, we got the voiceover guy, same guy that does all the stuff for Wendy Bell. His name is Kelly Pigeon, and he's amazing. Uh, but we're going to be refining this show little by little, day by day, um, as we take this journey together. And you all are in on the, on the ground floor. Um, fair warning for those of you all watching today. My daughter is out on a date. She's 16. She's out on a date tonight. I'm just going to tell you, there's no parenting manual for how fathers deal with stuff like this. So, Katie, if you're watching, just remember, be home by what, like five, five, six, be home by six. Um, I told you yesterday at the top of the show that my girls coming from Delaware, they were out there visiting um, their grandparents. They spent the, uh, the week at the beach out there. So, oh, I know life's so hard for them. Uh, they came back last night. My kids got here this morning. So you snap your your fingers and Fort Parnell goes from empty nesters to the Brady Bunch. And they're here right now and they're standing all around me, which is why I'm looking to my left and to my right. So boys, Parnell boys entered the frame here. Wait, hey say, say hi. <laughs> there, there's, this is my son. Well, Schmethen and Schmevin. And then, and then come on girls, come on in here. This is my daughter, Shmema and Schmadily. Um, they're all here watching the show surrounding me. So again, and again, Katie, 16 on a date. So she, unfortunately, she can't be with us. But this is Fort Parnell. And after the show, we're all going to be hanging out together as a family and watching a movie. And I hope you all spend time together as a family, too. Um, there's look, look at Schmadily. Every, every, everyone say bye. Let me do the show. Bye. Okay. Thanks. Thanks. Okay. Okay. <laughs> the merch. Okay. Okay. Everybody. All right. We got We got to roll. Um, okay. So again, it's pandemonium. It's pandemonium here. Uh, it's pandemonium here in Fort Parnell, but we're doing the best that we can to bring battleground live to you every single day at five o'clock. Um, and again, we're working out the kinks in this show, right? I, I see the way I see this show flowing is four days a week. We're going to rock and roll and hit things really, really hard and bring you news. Um, most of the news that we bring you, the news is the actual mainstream media is not going to touch, but we will. We want to make sure that you have truth so you can stand on that pillar of truth and fight back against the radical left's lies. So, but Friday, I mean, it's five o'clock. You got to have a drink. I have a drink. And I'm drinking this stuff that Brock got me as I drove him home last week after hosting Wendy Bell. Let me show you. You got me this stuff right here. It's called, this isn't like a sponsor or anything, but hopefully maybe someday. Battlefield Vodka. It's awesome. It's uh, So, Brock, thank you for that. But it's 5 o'clock. Have a drink. Um, let me know what you're drinking in the comments. And, be, you know, as most of you all know by now that after the show, I go and look in the comments. Um Make sure you smash that rumble button, the little green thumb, because rumble takes note of stuff like that. And that's how you get advertisers. And once we get advertisers, look out. We will be able to bring this show to so many more people. And again, you all are in on the ground floor on all of this stuff. So uh, subscribe, rumble. Thank you for joining us um, today. My children had uh, an orientation at school and I went and did a tour because they're starting a new school. Um, and so we walked 
you know, from the, where they get off at their bus and walk to all of their classrooms. And now they're in intermediate schools and one's going to high school and I've got kids everywhere. Um, tour went really, really well. I have to say, I only saw three trans flags while I was there. So I guess that's a good thing, given that it's a big school with lots of teachers. I actually did see a history teacher at the school in the class who had a don't tread on me flag hanging in his his classroom and uh, one of the Revolutionary War flags, join or die, which, of course, the left considers today as racist. So I think that's a, a net positive on whole. Um but one of the things that struck me as I was taking this tour with the kids is that you know these trans flags that say or the in the LGBTQ flags uh, that say you know welcome here you're welcome. I started thinking about that, and I have to say it 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 bothers me that teachers do that for a lot of different reasons. But to say you're welcome here is to imply that other teachers throughout the school who maybe don't have a flag and that message on their doorway, that those that LGBTQ kids aren't welcome in their classrooms. And I have a real problem with that because why wouldn't kids that like that, that kids that are different be welcome in, uh, in teachers classrooms? Of course they would be welcome in other teachers classrooms. Another thing is like, it's not like, when you have that on your door, it's like a message to me as a parent. It's 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 a sexuality type message. You're signaling to me as a parent saying, hey, it's okay for your child who is under 18 to come into my room and talk to this teacher or this grown-up about their sexuality. And that's completely and totally not appropriate at all. I mean, why do these people feel like it's appropriate to talk about sex with kids? It's gross. It's not right. We shouldn't, it shouldn't be, we shouldn't tolerate it. We shouldn't allow it because the bottom line is, and the bottom line is we shouldn't play the left's games because of course, children from every race, creed, religion, sexuality are welcome in every classroom. You don't have to virtue signal to everybody to let us know. And, and frankly, when teachers do that, the, the, when these leftist teachers do that, I I have to believe that it comes from a place that's good where they really don't want these kids to feel different. But the reality is there's no reason for them to feel different. They're welcome there in the first place. So I, I was like a little bit taken back by that. Um, I don't like that stuff. I don't think that we as parents should tolerate it. And again, anytime you see those kinds, kinds of messages on teach in, in high schools and in intermediate schools, it's like that grown up is signaling to a minor that it's okay for them to talk about sex with that teacher. And it's just absolutely wrong and disgusting. And I don't like it. Um, but the reason why the left does this stuff, why they play these games is ultimately to divide us. And that is just what the left does so well. I mean, that's ultimately how they keep political power in this country. They divide Americans, young versus old, rich versus poor, black versus white, Christian versus atheist, northerners versus southerners, you name it. The left's pathway to power is through dividing America into little subgroups. And that's the only way they tend to remain in power. And this is why I think the message of you hear people that say diversity is our strength. The diversity is our strength. You should write those people off because it's actually 
it's actually only part of the solution to the problems that we face as Americans. Because di- diversity, I mean, while it's it's a good thing insofar as bringing people together with different perspectives and with from different backgrounds makes us all better, especially when we challenge each other. But diversity for diversity's sake and allowing America in classrooms, in businesses to almost balkanize into little fractured groups actually makes our country a lot weaker. The real pathway forward in this country is unity. And it's not talked about enough. And I remember growing up um, in school, especially in social studies or history class way back in the day now, teachers talked about you know, America is a melting pot. People from all over the world risk life and limb in their lives in some cases just to have a chance to be an American. And they come here legally because that's part, that's the way the system works. Because doing the right thing means obeying the law and one's first act in this country cannot be a violation of the law. It just sets a terrible precedent. For years, this was a conventional way of thinking. And now it's like that has fallen by the wayside. We don't talk about unity. We don't talk about the idea of America being a melting pot. Of course, we want people from all different backgrounds, different skin colors, different religions. We want those people here. But at the end of the day, if they're not assimilating into our American way of life, into American culture, and bringing the many gifts from their culture here, I'm not asking them to discard them. Bring them here. Make them a part of, of American culture because that makes us better. But ultimately, you're in America, an American first, last, and always. And I tell this, I've told this story to people before, but my grandfather, when he came here on the boat from Italy, he spoke Italian, but he never spoke Italian here. And my my mom and my aunt would, when they were little, would watch my grandfather speak in Italian with all of his buddies, and they would come, they, my grandfather would come back to them and their father. And they would say, dad, what the heck? You know, like, we didn't know you spoke Italian. He goes, ah, he's like, I'm an American first. So for decades, being an American, being an American first was an identity that we all could rally around. It made our country better. It didn't matter that we all spoke different languages or came from different places or had different skin colors or worshiped different gods. None of that mattered. What mattered was is that we were Americans and we rallied around that and that made America strong. In fact, it made America into the country that we are today. In America that, well, at least prior to, I would say, Joe Biden and maybe Barack Obama and a brief intermission with with Donald Trump in the middle, making this country absolutely great again. um, The left from Barack Obama onward has been singularly focused on tearing this country down. And when the left talks about the transformation, the fundamental transformation of America, in order to transform something, you first must tear it down block by block. And I think what they're talking about there, especially when they when they discuss how the Constitution is racist and then they try to smear the founders as racist slaveholders, of course, judging them by 21st century standards, which is, of course, entirely inappropriate, um, it just does a great disservice to our country. And I think often about my time in Afghanistan. And again, so much of my adult life is shaped around the leadership lessons that I learned there. Um, it's just, if there's no way my platoon would have survived if, if we focused on only our differences. Because my platoon was crazy, crazy diverse. I mean, 
we had black serving next to white, Christians next to atheists, Democrats next to Republicans, young next to old. I mean, I had a squad leader in, in my platoon. I was 23. He was 42. Um, I outranked him only on paper. But the reality was I, he was my go to guy for everything. But what the army and the military does so well is they 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 teach you and they train you to discard your individual identity. And they they help you focus on a, a collective, the idea that we're all Americans. There's no hyphenated Americans in the army. They're all Americans united fighting a common mission with that American flag on your shoulder, the might and power of the U.S. military at your back. This country on the battlefield can accomplish any mission. Well, I would put forth to all of you listening and watching here today that that is precisely what we need to do to get this nation back on the right track. And, and this is why the left is so hell-bent on dividing us into little groups. This is how they keep power. But this is how they keep the rest of us distracted. But if you think about it, it's always been Americans, it doesn't matter, Democrat or Republican, rising up in times of crisis and great strife it's always been Americans, regardless of where they come from or what God they worship or how much money they make or what political party they're in, they, they come together in times of crisis as Americans and they fight to make sure that they and their neighbors survive. Doesn't matter what their differences are. Remember the LA riots and the Koreans who defended their hearth and home with rifles in the shops from angry rioters. What about after September 11th, after those buildings came down and in the wake of the most horrific terrorist attack in our nation's history, anybody that lived through September 11th would tell you that for the weeks and months after September 11th, it was some of the, as horrific as that moment was, it, it was some of the best times that we've had as a country because we did not focus on those things that make us different. None of that mattered. What mattered was in the wake of 9-11, being Americans and saving lives and helping those firefighters and digging people out from underneath the rubble and saving as many lives as humanly possible. And what comes later is, is going after the jerks who attacked us. We were united under that. We were united behind that mission. And it was a great time in America when we were united after September 11th. And you look at the Cajun Navy in the, in the wake of all those terrible storms in, the, in and around Louisiana. It's, it's not the government folks that, that enters our lives and solves these problems for us. The government ain't coming to save you. We've got to get away from that way of thinking. You think about Ronald Reagan. I think he said, he said so many wise things about our relationship as a free people with our government. But he said, you know, so many people think government, government is the solution. No, government is the problem. There's nothing that he that that he said something like there's nothing that he feared more than someone arriving on your doorstep and saying, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. So remember, it's always, always, always been Americans rallying together, not our government, the American people that make this country exceptional, the American people that make this country great. When we disallow these leftist communists from dividing us, when we say to hell with that, and we focus on our collective identity as Americans, this country can accomplish 
anything. And if you don't believe me, look at all the amazing things that we did in our history. Stormed the beaches of Normandy, scaled the cliffs of Point de Hoc, liberated concentration camps all over Europe. You know, Americans won every single battle in Vietnam and did everything that they could to save the South Vietnamese people. We fought a war and gave 600,000 American lives to the, to the righteous cause that ended slavery in this country. Yes, America has its faults, but we do extraordinary, extraordinary things when we come together as a people. We always have. And it's when we're united that we make this country stronger, better, but we also make the world safer for not just our people, but for the, for the entire world. And you look at what's happening in Hawaii and everything that they're going through. We talked about it yesterday, but it's this is such an important story, and I want to talk about it again today. The people of Hawaii have banded together in the absence of government help, and they're doing extraordinary things. And you even see a, a professional surf, a surfer, uh, Kai Lenny, talking about the Hawaiian all-volunteer army that stepped up to provide supplies for the community of Liana, especially in their hour of their greatest need. It's truly remarkable. But listen to this unsuspecting now American hero talking about volunteering to serve and save his fellow Americans. Watch this. For some of us, we were kind of sitting back waiting for help to arrive and then nothing was sort of happening. We were just in shock. But what was that tipping point for you when you realized government is not going to be able to respond the way locals can? So when I started getting texts and messages from friends on the other side saying, hey, no one is here. Do you know anyone you can call? Can you help us? And it started off with really being boots on the ground. OK, let's get the jet skis. Let's get the boats. Let's call friends who fly commercial aircraft and see if we can charter a plane. We just took it upon ourselves like, okay, we could probably do a full day to hold our friends and family over before the you know caravan arrives with everything. And it was just like day after day, where are they? I haven't seen you know one state, one county, one federal official at any one of the donation hubs where people are most suffering. People are sleeping in their cars, People are asking for specific items now. What does it look like at these places that are hard to get to for the public and you've been able to get to the distribution centers? What are they like? It's pretty remarkable seeing communities come together. I mean, these distribution centers, some of them are very chaotic because they're bringing in supplies from the ocean. There's also some very well organized areas and you can tell everyone's trying to accomplish the same thing. So the, the federal government says they're here. FEMA says they're here. Small Business Administration, the National Guard. There's been a response from Maui County, from the governor. It's very hard for anyone sitting where I'm sitting as a journalist to evaluate the response because it's closed to the public in Lahaina. As soon as you go to the west side, all of a sudden you're like, wow, why do I feel like I'm in a third world country right now? You could go to any one of those hubs on the west side of the island and you can ask everyone there. And they'll be like, oh, we haven't seen anyone. No one came to talk to us. No one's come to assist. I wonder if the state, county, they believe we're doing such a good job, they don't need to step in. But a lot of these volunteers have been going all day, all night for five, six days now yeah. and are exhausted and are waiting for a handoff or at least a break. The Hawaiian people, the locals that have lived here, they just always feel like they're the last to be thought of. And they're like the foundation of it. 
these extraordinary Americans are doing the best that they can, rising up and trying to help their fellow neighbor in their hour of their greatest need. But our government and Joe Biden have been totally MIA. And again, folks, I talked about this just yesterday on the show. It's a commander's job. Now, again, Joe Biden is the commander in chief. It's a commander's job to be present in times of crisis. It's a commander's job to lead from the front in times of great strife. It, uh, one of the most basic leadership levels that I can pass on to you and all other leaders at all levels. And in times of crisis, people cling to leaders who are invol involved and not detached. It's hard to see Joe Biden as anything else but wholly detached from what's happening in, in Hawaii right now, in Maui. He's reacted to this crisis with an extraordinary lack of empathy. But the truth is, anytime there's a crisis, most like anytime Americans' backs are up against the wall, Joe Biden always, always with a capital A, responds to those situations with an extraordinary lack of empathy. Again, think back to the to the Afghan surrender. Joe Biden doesn't even know the names of the 13 Americans who were killed. And when he met with their parents, he didn't even know their names. When he met with families of the wounded, he even never even introduced himself to these soldiers, didn't know their names, only talked about his son and how he died in Iraq, even though that was a complete and total lie. Like the man is not a leader. Mr. 81 million votes got more votes than Donald Trump and Barack Obama, then both Barack Obama and Donald Trump were the most popular presidents in American history. I mean, anywhere you went, I mean, Barack Obama, when he ran and then Donald Trump, I mean, they have massive crowds. They had a base of people that were excited about him. Even now, as Joe Biden is president, can't draw 12 people. He can't even speak in coherent sentences. He doesn't even know where the hell he is half the time. When there was, a, there was so much, we're going to do a recap of all the insane liberal crap that happened this week later on in B Block. Um, but there was so much stuff in there that we couldn't fit it all. I mean, there was there was even a time where Joe Biden's talking about um, Maui and didn't even remember that there was a wild wildfire in Maui. Couldn't remember the name of the island. The guy's is totally gone. Yet we're to believe that this guy got eighty one million votes. Oh my God! Don't get me started on it. Of course he didn't. But as every day that goes by with this disaster in Hawaii, I have more questions than answers. And I've got some notes here. On Monday, the Hawaii governor, Josh Green, who is a Democrat, by the way, said all the sirens were broken. Folks, the sirens were tested on August 1st, a week prior to the fire on Tuesday. So we know that that's not true. And then Governor Green changes his story, saying that, oh, just some of the sirens were broken. Okay, story's evolving in real time. But now the state's admitted that nobody even attempted to activate those sirens. And I we worked our butts off today to find interviews with survivors, 
to let you hear what they that what they're reporting from this because you know you can't trust the media, right? We want you to hear firsthand from survivors. Listen to what these survivors said about the warning that they got when these wildfires started. Just sort of roll the tape. Were there any warning sirens that you heard? Was there any evacuation order? None at all. Uh, no sirens. There are no text messages. Um, there are no police firemen come by. The only reason I knew there was a fire because I saw people running for their life and the you know, in, in smoke. Um, even I turned on the radio after we got in the car and we didn't hear anything until 15 minutes later. And even the um, the uh, the radio station we're listening to was just evacuate, no direction. Yeah, unfortunately, all of our routes were basically blocked by police and it pigeonholed and forced us down into Lahaina town on Front Street, which is an absolute. Okay, so two things I want to draw your attention to there. They got no warning, no warning whatsoever from their emergency response officials. There are sirens, and I've got the stats here for you that I'll read them here to you in a second, but there are sirens all over Maui. They never even got turned on. And now let me transition to this. Why were police blocking the exfiltration routes? People were trying to escape. People were blocked from escaping. How does this happen? Something just doesn't seem right about all this. I mean, certainly we don't have all the answers. And, and again, do everything we can to give these people grace in the midst of a great crisis. But I, I something doesn't make any sense. There was a very terse press conference. And a reporter asked the head of Maui Emergency Management Agency, by the way, the head of Maui's Emergency Management Agency wasn't actually on the island when this happened. Kind of crazy, right? This reporter asked the, the head of the Maui Emergency Management Agency if he regrets not sounding the sirens. Now, hundred over 100 confirmed dead. Over 1,000 are still missing. Most of the people who are still missing are children who did not have school that day. School was called off because of the high winds when the wildfire broke out. Many of the parents weren't prepared for this, didn't have childcare lined up, and went to work, which means that when the wildfires were at their worst, when things were most chaotic, these children were stranded home alone, had no idea what was coming because the sirens didn't go off, had no idea what to do because their parents were at work. They just sat there and in many cases burned. And we have a president that hasn't even engaged, had the gall for five days to say no comment when an entire historic town in, in Hawaii burned to the ground. Children's dead. It's absolutely sickening. But I want you to see this press conference. I want you, I want you to see this reporter who, who kudos to him is asking tough questions. And I want you to see with your own two eyes how Hawaii's emergency management director responded when asked why he didn't sound the alarm. Roll the tape. Do you regret not sounding the sirens? I do not. And the reason why... So many people said they could have been saved if they had time to escape. Had a siren gone off... 
they would have known that there was a crisis emerging. And as we know, so many bodies were found in the ground as the flames caught their heels. Give me the answer. The sirens, as I had mentioned earlier, is used primarily for tsunamis. And that's the reason why many of them are found, almost all of them are found on the coastline. The public is trained to seek higher ground in the event that the siren is sounded. Had we sounded the siren that night, we're afraid that people would have gone Malka. And if that was the case, then they would have gone into the fire. By the way, I should also note that there are no sirens Malka or on the mountainside where the fire was spreading down. So even if we sounded the siren, it would not have saved those people on the, on the mountainside. According to the state's own government website, those sirens can be used for a variety of natural and human-caused events, including wildfires. Because of course, like I'm, I'm not a, a FEMA official, but I know because I have common sense that sirens can be played in multiple tones to signify different things that Maui's own website refutes his own words. The all-hazard siren system, this is directly from the website, the all-hazard siren system can be used for a variety of both natural and human-caused events, including tsunamis, hurricanes, dam breaches, flooding, wildfires, volcanic eruption, terrorist threats, hazardous material incidents, and more. There are 400 sirens statewide, 80 of which are on Maui. There are 80 different sirens on Maui. And they blasted 121 decibels in a 3,400 foot, 3,400 3, foot radius. If this man did his job and did his job properly, was involved and not detached, people would have survived. Children would have survived. And what's more, these people who were so went through absolute hell are still being victimized by their government because their government is brazenly lying to them about what happened. Again, folks, things just don't make sense. I found a, um, another video from a survivor taken from a, a local news outlet that I want you to see. Again, it's just, this stuff just doesn't make sense. Don't trust me. Listen to their survivors. Uh, let's go ahead and roll the tape. Russ, who lived in his home for 40 years, said he and neighbors fought all day to keep the fire from spreading. We had a hard time holding it back, but we're still, we were winning the game. And then the water turned off. And then there wasn't anything we could do. Then the sparks were blowing up out of the gulf. The water turned off. This man said they were doing fine fighting the fire, and then the water turned off? How does this happen? At what point does the negligence and the loss of life become criminal? From, again, I mean, everything that Joe Biden touches is, I mean, my God, the guy's a total clown. Uh, pudding brain is, is the absolute worst. But criminal dereliction of duty on his part, criminal dereliction of duty of these local elected officials that continue to lie to their people. This is the absolute worst way to respond to a tragedy. The best thing that you can do is, hey, look, I don't have a lot of answers for you. Things didn't go as they should, obviously. I don't know what happened with the sirens, but we'll get you answers. You just don't lie to people and change the story. Absolutely sickening. 
But the fact that they ran out of water doesn't surprise me because they have some virtue signaling moron official who's in charge of the water in Maui with no skill set whatsoever, probably has a degree in underwater basket weaving, doesn't belong in the job because he's a complete mouth breather. Listen to how he feels about water. The commission is responsible per, per our authorizing statute to protect and manage all water resources in the state. One water is like taking it and looking at it from a holistic system perspective. And that's not if any different than how Hawaiians traditionally manage water, you know, in, in essence, we treated it, a native Hawaiians treated water as one of the earthly manifestations of a God and a kua kane. And so that reverence um, for a resource and that reciprocity in relationship was, was something that was really, really important to our worldview and, and well-being, right? And living in an island in isolated from other, you know, civilizations. Um, and so I think where it shifted to today or over time is that we've become used to looking at water as like something which we use and not necessarily something that we revere as that thing that gives us life. Right. I mean, to me, it's a shift in value set. Um, and you know, if we can start to really look at how we as humans in an island, um, can reconnect to that traditional value set. So really my motto is always like, let water connect us and not divide us. Like we, we can share it, but it requires true conversations about equity. Oh, well, I am so sure the victims of the Maui wildfire are grateful that their mouth breathing moronic leaders like you are focused on worshiping water and not providing it or using it to actually save people's lives. I mean, my God, what the hell was that guy even saying? And therein lies the problem with most of these virtuous, virtue signaling, no talent leftists that, that find themselves in positions of power that they're completely unqualified for. Electing these mouth-breathing morons and frankly, in these these losers to positions of power, I mean, maybe you don't always notice these idiots in the impact that they make when times are great. You know, when you can put food on the table for your family, when the economy is booming, when maybe, you know, maybe the, the emergency response, maybe things like this don't happen because we have our country's going in the right direction. But when these mouth breathers are in charge of critically important organizations when times are bad in times of again great crisis people die it can get really 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 horrific really quickly and that's what we're seeing in maui right now this country every single one of us has a duty and obligation and a responsibility to elect better leaders and this isn't just a Democrat problem by and large. I mean, look, I would put forth to you that most of these issues do not happen when conservatives are in charge. But I will tell you this, when Democrats are in charge, they're almost always detached. You remember Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama during Benghazi? They couldn't even be bothered to wake up. Joe Biden 
didn't respond to this for damn near a week, just said no comment. I, it's, it's unbelievable to me that the media is okay with this. I mean, have been like one of my commanders in Afghanistan were being outnumbered and overrun instead of calling for air and, and, and getting a quick reaction force ready to come and help us, uh, sleeping through that entire fight. What would have happened if I had a commander that was like that? I can tell you this, I sure as hell wouldn't be sitting here talking to you on camera today. I would have died somewhere out in the, out in the mountains of Afghanistan. Remember, this country desperately needs real leaders who are involved, who care, and are not detached. And we're going to talk a hell of a lot more about the, how the fact that Joe Biden's a disaster, about how we need better leaders in this country, and how Joe Biden is clearly not one of them. But before we do, just let me send a quick thanks to Deepwell, who is my founding uh, sponsor for this program and Cabot Guns, who is also a sponsor. Both of these organizations have been with us since the beginning. Cabot makes the best 1911 pistols in the country. Every single part, every component part on those handguns, 100% American made, best shooting pistols in the country, huge supporters of the Second Amendment. They're right here in Western Pennsylvania with me. Check them out. Um, and also Deepwell. Awesome oil and gas company, one of the best countries uh, companies on the face of the planet. They're hiring right now. And if you're looking for work, they'll hire you as long as you're willing to do the work. There, I mean, five years you can make. You can go from making fifty grand to start to two hundred fifty grand in five years at Deepwell. They're an awesome company. Go go to their website. Just throw their name in, into your search engine and read up on these companies. They're amazing. Um, they've been with us since the beginning, and we're very grateful to them. But speaking of needing better leaders, uh, we wanted to throw together a recap of all the most moronic, mouth-breathing moments of the week. I'm telling you, folks, there are almost too many to count. <laughs> like so many things were breaking as we were putting together the show that we couldn't cram enough into this into this block. But obviously, the Biden, Biden family crime syndicate's a disaster. The patriarch of that family, well, of course, it's it's Joe Biden. Most of the time, he doesn't know where he is. He can't speak in coherent sentences. He was asked about Hawaii again today. Do you think, let, just give you a sense, do you think you have a sense of what he might have said, how he responded? Let's roll the tape and let's see it for ourselves. Can you tell us about your Hawaii trip, sir? No, not now. I'm going to be leaving. I'll be there on Monday. Why is it important that you go? Do you remember Hurricane Katrina when George W. Bush was taken to task for simply flying over the devastation that was Katrina? Uh, and the reason he didn't land on the ground is because he didn't want to divert emergency resources from the people who were suffering. But the media, relentless wall to wall coverage of how George W. Bush was not, he was totally detached from that. Of course, that, I mean, that wasn't true. Um, but here you have Joe Biden can't be bothered to even come back from vacation. He's out there sunning his ass on some Delaware beach. No comment. I mean, the double standard is unbelievable. And if, if you needed any more proof that our media was completely and totally in the tank for these radical left commies, I, I don't know what more you need to see it. But my God, it's absolutely unbelievable. The double standard is unbelievable. He's actually not given 
this country or the media any information about his trip to Hawaii. In fact, he's in Tahoe. I think he left for uh, Lake Tahoe yesterday. He's going to be there over the weekend. He's not even going to Hawaii until Monday. <laughs> I mean, like, can you imagine? I mean, what an absolute joke this guy is. Uh, Joe Biden also had a, a real interesting moment uh, when asked, or he's actually talking, and he was talking specifically about America first policies. Now, you know, I'm a big believer in America first. I'm tired, for example, of veterans who fight for the streets of other countries and then come home to the, to sleep on the streets of America. I got a real problem with that. I have a real problem with sending our tax dollars to countries who hate us. I have a real problem with paying Ukrainian officials pensions, who now many of these officials are out there buying boats and yachts and million-dollar homes in Europe. I have a real problem giving hundreds of billions of your tax dollars to these corrupt leaders in Ukraine. I have a real problem with a great many things that are happening in this country, primarily because Democrat leaders are not focused on America first. Joe Biden doesn't care about America first. And when I hear him say stuff like that, it makes me believe he doesn't care about America. Listen to him talking about how he feels about the America first movement. Is America first policy walking away from the rest of the world is made us weaker, not stronger. Walking away from the rest of the world. Well, I mean, we're certainly not walking away from Ukraine. Spent over $100 billion there. Joe Biden sure as hell. I mean, we all know why he doesn't walk, want to walk away from other countries in the world, whether it's Ukraine or China or some of these other you know, Kazakhstan and some of these other countries that have given his family tens of millions of dollars. I mean, of course, you know, one can't hardly blame Joe Biden for saying that, especially because he's been able to enrich his entire family from the corrupt donations from other countries so that they can buy influence during his tenure as vice president and his now time as, as president. The guy's an absolute disaster. Let's uh, play the next tape, which I think is um, Reverend Al Sharpton, who is triggered by Donald Trump's use of the word riggers, election riggers, talking, of course, about the 2020 election. Let's go ahead and roll the tape. It rhymes with the N-word. Donald Trump himself, their leader, using the term riggers, which uh, clearly yep. rhymes with the N-word. I mean, this is not exactly. 10 years ago or 30 years ago when we marched against him on the Central Park Five. Uh, I'm talking about he, and within the last 24 hours, used the term riggers. Is this the kind of party the Republicans want to show the country that they are? We just spoke the entire first block about how leftists always want to divide us. Proof positive right there in Reverend Al Sharpton, one of the greatest race hustlers of our generation. And I guess by his rule, I mean, election hackers is also out because it rhymes with election crackers. So I... I <laughs> I don't know how those two things correlate at all. Just because words rhyme does not mean there's a correlation. So this is just insane. God, these, these liberals who focus on nothing but race are the biggest racists in the world. Don't you see? America's so sick of these mouth-breathing idiots. Um, okay. Biden yelled creepily at a bunch of at a bunch of um of his supporters, and I use, of course, the term loosely. Um Let's go ahead and roll that tape. Name me a single objective we've ever set out to accomplish that we've failed on. Name me one in all of our history. 
Not one. Okay, speaking of names, because I guarantee you, you don't remember these names. How about Lance Corporal David Espinoza, Sergeant Nicole Gee, Sergeant Darren Taylor Hoovers, Army Staff Sergeant Ryan Naus, Corporal Hunter Lopez, Lance Corporal Riley McCullum, Lance Corporal Dylan Marola, Lance Corporal Kareem Niku, Corporal Dagan Page, Sergeant Joan Johnny Picardo, Corporal Humberto Sanchez, Lance Corporal Jared Schmitz, Navy Corpsman Maxton Soviak. The irony of Joe Biden asking that question on the anniversary of the surrender in Afghanistan is not beyond me, and it should not be lost on any of you. The names that I just read you were the 13 Americans who never made it back. I'd say that's one hell of a, of a failure. How about the complete and total failure of, of, of deterring Putin? on European soil before he invaded Ukraine? How about Iran is closer than ever to a nuclear bomb? How about chaos at our southern border? How about fentanyl being the number one cause of death in America that just so happens to be streaming across that border that's not secured? How about we're in the middle of the worst recruitment crisis, a military recruitment crisis ever in this country? How about Bidenomics? A crazy disaster. Here are the facts. I'm going to go ahead and read them to you because I've got notes right here. Prices are up by 16.9% since Biden took office. Real wages are down by about 3% since Biden took office. The nationwide average for regular gas is up $1.48 a gallon since Biden took office. Americans have paid over $2,250 more in increased energy costs since Biden took office. American savings, real incomes, and economic confidence are all down. Households are spending $709 more than they did two years ago for the same goods and services. Credit card debt is at an all-time high as credit card delinquencies have surpassed pre-pandemic levels. Americans are being punished by the highest interest rates in 22 years. Nearly 20 million American households are behind on the utility bills. 60% of workers report living paycheck to paycheck, including 73% of millennials. I am one of those people. Nearly three-fourths of Americans say that their financial situation is not improving, while almost half say that it's actively getting worse. Most Americans think the country is on the wrong track. Clearly. Americans have lost an average of $10,000 paying the increased cost of living under Biden. That's Bidenomics. I'd say that is a pretty damn big failure, Mr. President. So Biden, last thing that we'll say on him, yelled at a bunch of people about kids. Why the hell is this crazy weirdo kid sniffer even talking about kids? I don't know. But listen to this because, yep, if you're like me, it will creep you out. I want to say one thing to your children. I know some really great ice cream places around here. <laughs> and daddy owes you. <laughs> so talk to me afterwards. Daddy owes you? What the hell does that even mean? Why is he even saying that? Why the hell are people laughing at the guy? It's just, ah, uh, ah. Uh. We, the adults are back in charge, folks. Ugh. Okay, how about Biden? Very confused. Now, this is this is this is a really interesting one because Biden isn't out on the on a frenzied campaign, meeting with a bu bunch of people for the first time and sharing the podium with someone that he doesn't know. He's been meeting 
with prime ministers of different countries all day today. <laughs> Roll this tape. Now I will yield to, who am I yielding to? Distinguished guest, the president go. of the Republic of Korea. We needed the voice of God to tell us that. He needed the voice of God to tell. It's not like this is some bumpkin. This is the prime minister of Korea. And Joe Biden spent the entire day with him. He didn't even remember who the hell he was with. This is why, folks, I'm not lying to you when I said Joe Biden doesn't know where he is most of the time. Okay, now have we come to a point in this country that things are so bad and so dire that CNN is even saying that Donald Trump is right? I don't know. But this clip will blow your mind. This is this is Monica Lewinsky's boyfriend coming in hot. And, and uh, Kristen, uh, Glenn Kessler from The Washington Post uh, had a fact check about Joe Biden uh, from earlier this month, um, noting that Hunter Biden admitted in court in July that he was, in fact, paid substantial sums uh, from Chinese companies. Kessler wrote Hunter Biden reported nearly two point four million in income in 2017 and two point two million in income in 2018, most of which came from Chinese or Ukrainian interests. But this, and this directly goes against what Joe Biden said in the debate in 2020 uh, with uh, Donald Trump. Take a listen. My son has not made money in terms of this thing about uh, what are you talking about? China. What you None of that is true. He made a fortune in Ukraine, in China, in Moscow, that is simply and various not other places. True. So it's from two different debates. But I mean, Trump was right. I mean. He did make a fortune from China, and Joe Biden was wrong. I don't know that he was lying about it. He might not have been told by Hunter, but this blind spot is a problem. It's a problem, one, because Republicans aren't going to let it go, that's for sure. But also, these problems are continuing through the legal system. It's not as though this is something that's been settled in other jurisdictions and Republicans are just harping on it. It is an ongoing thing in our courts. It's not going anywhere. This is a blind spot. Does it concern you as a Democrat? Well, I think dads have sometimes and parents sometimes have blind spots about their kids, for sure. And the president may be no exception. But nothing has tied the president to any of Hunter Biden's dealings. There's no whiff of him being involved or him being implicated in it. And uh, it's, you know, I think it's not something the voters care a lot about. Andy Levin must be smoking the same crack that Hunter Biden is. Are you kidding me? And to Monica Lewinsky's boyfriend, well, maybe Hunter just didn't tell him about or, or, what? What? <laughs> They were on the phone together with world leaders. Are you kidding me? The big guy, Joe Biden, had 15 different pseudonyms. Millions of dollars given. To, <laughs> are you kidding me? Why does the media? First of all, Brock, if you're, I know you're listening to this. Clip Monica Lewinsky's boyfriend saying Trump is right. We're going to use that moving forward. We can't let that slide. But my God, these, these people are so desperate to throw Joe Biden a bone that it's just unbelievable to me the lengths that they will go to to cover for this communist, corrupt, crime syndicate of a family that's in the White House that, by the way, has dragged President Trump through the mud for damn near six years now and, and is hell-bent on ruining his life and the lives of his children and his grandchildren. The media and this president are just disgusting I just I just loathe them. And they're, they're when and now after having run for office myself. Now, again, I always knew that the media lean, leaned left. But having run for office myself and seen firsthand what many of these people are capable of, I know exactly why President Trump calls them the enemy of people, because they are.
They hate you. They have an unbelievable disdain for you. Which is why rolling into the last block, culture is just everything. If you believe that culture is downstream from politics, then you believe that the movies that we watch, the books that we read, the things that our children learn in school, the things that we watch on our television, the, the narratives that are pushed by our media, the, the things that trend in our culture, they matter. They shape the way that we think. And then we elect leaders who embody those, those beliefs and we send those people to Washington. And then they vote those values. And so I happen to believe that conservatives need culture warriors. For far too long, our party has ceded to the left academia, Hollywood, now many executive positions in our corporations, the media. And the reality is the ceding of these industries to the left has been a great detriment to our party and to our country. You know, the Republican Party for the longest time is, hey, we're the party of small government and low taxes. And those are things that I also believe. But to not focus on the culture is to do, is to do a disservice to this country. And especially, while maybe not our generation, but subsequent generations, because it's often the next generation who pay for seeding the cultural battlefield to the left. And I think that's why we see all of this woke craziness unfolding right before our eyes, day after day, all this trans craziness right before our eyes, day after day, where we've gone from allowing gay marriage in this country to where we are now renaming pedophiles legally in California minor attracted persons and diminishing their sentences and trying to normalize this crazy insanity that is that is infesting our schools, the sexual grooming of our children, the idea that a child can talk about sex with an adult who is not a parent is horrifying. And these, the, these leftists are trying to normalize that. And I don't think Americans support that stuff, folks. You look at what's happening with Bud Light and the cataclysmic fall in their sales. It used to be the number one beer in America, and they've lost billions since putting Dylan Mulvaney on their beer can, basically giving the finger to all of their customers, the people who made them successful in the first place. Bud Light is struggling because they played the woke game. Target missed they're, they're, uh, I think their profits are way down, lost billions of dollars since putting, you know, crazy trans stuff in their stores. And not only that, you know, satanic and trans stuff in their stores at the same time. Americans are tired of this crap. And I saw Jen Psaki go on MSNBC and talk about how Republicans are out of touch with the public uh, because of these cultural debates. See, when I say, let, let's roll the tape first, and I'll tell you what I think. Go ahead. Go ahead. Problems. If you take a step back from all the developments of the legal trials and tribulations of Donald Trump, is that the Republican Party has moved in a direction that's out of touch 
with the American electorate. And you gave a number of examples there. But if any party, a political party, is trying to make it harder and more difficult to vote, which is something we've seen the Republican Party do in a number of states across the country over the last couple of years, it's because they don't want more people to go out there and voice their view and voice who they want to support. That means fundamentally you're scared of more people being out there voting because they're going to vote for your opponent. And the Ohio example you gave is such a good one. And unfortunately, there's a number of other cases in states across the country where there have been efforts to make it harder for people in in red states and purple states and lavender, whatever states, color states they are, to express their support for abortion rights and the ability of women to make choices about their own health care. Because there's a fear that women will do exactly that, that men will do exactly that, because those positions are popular in the country. So uh, even as we're working yeah. through navigating, litigating, explaining every detail of Trump's legal issues, the challenge here is that the positions that the core uh, candidates and leaders of the Republican Party have on issues people care about, whether it's access to voting, choices about your own health care, uh, all of these crazy wackadoo cultural debates about gay marriage. Marriage, first right. of all, gay marriage is the law of the land. It's out of touch with the public, and that is a core problem for the party. Crazy, wackadoo cultural debates. By the way, no one's protesting gay marriage. What I am protesting, now again, I say this all the time, you live the life that you want to live. If you're above 18 and you, you want to pretend to be a woman, okay, fine. If you're a man that wants to pretend to be a woman, fine. Like It's your life. You do what you want. Where I draw the line is you forcing this stuff on my children, talking about sex with children, trying to groom children into this ideology and putting porn in our schools because it's exactly what it is. No, conservatives aren't trying to ban books, just the pornographic books that the left is trying to put in our schools. The cultural debates, folks, are the debates that matter. These are the things that you believe. Being a conservative is it's an active it's an active word. Our job, our mission, our charge is to conserve things. Conserve the things that we believe. And to do that we have to defend them from crazy wackadoo people like Jen Psaki and these radical communists who would tell you that you're transphobe because you don't want your children learning about, you don't want somebody that doesn't even know them talking about sexuality with them, or that you don't want your child looking at porn in schools. You have to defend these things. You can't be afraid to defend against these things. Don't be ashamed of it. Our job as conservatives who believe in the Constitution is one to protect and defend the Constitution, but to conserve our traditional beliefs because it's those very beliefs that have made this country great. Conservatives desperately need more culture warriors. And that's never been more prevalent. Uh, the, 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 The fact that conservative culture warriors are needed on our side than this song that came out recently, Rich Men North of Richmond. Now, you probably have all heard about it by now, but there's this really interesting video compilation that was put together that shows how music can transcend everything and bring people together. And the more, so my point is the more that conservatives can lean into this, can lean into culture, lean into art, the better it is for 
our cause, but also the better it is for our country because we're bringing people together. Check out this video. It will blow you away. I've been selling my soul, working all day, overtime hours for bullshit pay so I can sit out here and waste my life away, drag back home and drown my troubles away. It's a damn shame what the world's gotten to for people like me, people like you. Wish I could just wake up and it not be true, but it is. Oh, it is living in the new world with an old soul. I can rock it. These rich men know the rich men, Lord knows it all. Just wanna have total control. Wanna know what you think. Wanna know what you do. And they don't think you know, but I know that you do. Cause your dollar ain't shit. Oh. And it's tax to no end. Okay. Tell them, buddy. Some of us can't say what we absolutely know is true, and he's articulating. I wish politicians would look out for miners, and not just miners on an island somewhere. Yes. Lord, we got folks in the street, ain't got nothing to eat, and the obese milk and welfare. Is keep on kicking them down. Ah, Lord, it's a damn shame what the world's gotten to for people like me. What? For people like you. Yeah. I could just wake up and it not be true, but it is. Oh, it is living in the new world with an old soul. These rich men know the rich men. You know, but I know that you do, cause your dollar ain't shit. It ain't it's tax to no hen, cause the rich men know the rich men. Selling my soul, working all day, overtime hours for bullshit pay. Damn. Damn. you see how great music great art great culture speaks to everybody i've said this a hundred times in this episode doesn't matter what color your skin is or what god you worship or where you come from we are all americans fighting the same fight and if we let these people at the top of the pyramid divide us our nation will continue to decline. 
but great songs, great artists, they speak to us in ways that these leaders cannot. They speak to our heart. They speak to our soul. And this is exactly why conservatives should not disengage from culture. You saw how that song affected people from all walks of life. Imagine if we had a million Oliver Anthony's out there singing songs like that. This country would be a better place. Do not cede the cultural battlefield to the left. Stay in the cultural fight. And folks, I want to thank you all for being with us on Friday. Uh, Thank you for watching Battleground Live. First week of the show is complete. You are in on the ground floor. God bless you all. And God bless this amazing country that we live in. Take care. Have a good weekend. 